Today's episode of Arx Firebug Fridays is brought to you by our good friends at Self Wealth. If you've been thinking about buying some ETFs, listed investment companies, or individual shares, you need to set yourself up with a broker. I personally use Self Wealth because of the rock bottom brokerage fee of $9.50, no matter what the size of the trade. If you're looking to trade on the ASX, Self Wealth is a fantastic chess sponsored option. Save yourself unnecessary brokerage fees and sign up with Self Wealth today. You can score five free trades by signing up using aussiefirebug.com forward slash self wealth. Start your journey towards fire by investing in assets that produce a passive income. The secret to getting ahead is getting started. Take action now, use your free trades and become one step further towards financial independence so you can retire early. That's aussiefirebug.com forward slash self wealth for your five free trades. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Arx Firebug Fridays, the weekly fire Q&A where you guys get to submit your questions and I try my best to answer them. Hope you guys like my intro music. I've been meaning to put some music into the intro and just transition and stuff for ages. I just haven't had the time and I've had other stuff on, but I dedicated some time this week to find the music and it's got a bit of a hip hop flavor, but that's just what I like. So... We've got a good episode today. We're talking about trusts, what they can do for you, what they can't do for you, um, properties. We're going to chat about property investing and ethical investing, which is an interesting topic. So without further ado, let's just get straight into the episode. Nothing in today's episode is financial advice. The following Q&A is for general purposes only and should not be taken as constituting professional advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decisions. Question one today comes from Billy Bob. Billy Bob writes in, Hi Aussie Firebug, love the site and podcast. Quick question around trusts. My understanding, which may be wrong, is that the cost to set up and manage a trust outweigh the benefits unless you have a sizable portfolio of $500,000 plus. I'm keen to buy some ETFs for the long term with a goal of having a portfolio in excess of $1.5 million. However, that likely won't be for another 15 years. With that in mind, I do I buy now under my own name or set up a trust with the future in mind, even though the cost outweigh the benefits during the early stages? If tax brackets mean anything, I'm I pay 37 cents to the dollar and also know the government are proposing changes to trust and franking credits. How does this impact the decision? Thanks, Billy Bob. Thank you for your question, Billy Bob. So first of all, trusts, yes, technically they can save you money, but as you've mentioned, they cost a bit to set up and to manage. I don't think Bill Shorten's proposal for the trust tax reform will actually go through, if I'm being honest. And for those who don't know what he's, what Bill Shorten is proposing or his party is that, or I guess I should explain um, how trust can save you money in the first place. So one of the major benefits of trust is the ability to distribute income at the most tax efficient uh, or to the most tax efficient person. So when you have assets held in a trust, 
the income, the assets are held in the trust and they generate an income, hopefully, or you sell assets within the trust and then you've got to distribute capital gains and the distributions go to beneficiaries. Now, that this can be very tax advantageous because you can distribute to beneficiaries at the most tax efficient rate. So you could imagine that if it's just you and your partner and there's no one else, you know, you don't have any family, well, there's not really like a whole benefit of having a trust. But if you have family members that aren't earning um, a lot of income, maybe you've got mum and dad who's living off their portfolio, like in their 60s and um, 70s, if they're lucky, and you can distribute to them um, at a more tax efficient rate. Uh, it will aff- it will affect their pension and like their um, asset means tests and whatnot if they're getting money, but you can still do it. Maybe you've got a um, a sister, a brother who's not working, whatever the case may be. A really popular method is when um, if your wife or your partner has a baby and they're not working for X amount of years, let's say they don't go back to work, they have a few kids for the next you know five or six years. You can distribute all the income from the assets generated, the income, the income that is generated from the assets within the trust to your to your wife instead of your name. Whereas if you just went 50-50, you don't quite have that flexibility. So there's a lot of um, tax savings uh, through the trust because of its ability to distribute income to beneficiaries and that can change every year depending on your tax circumstances. So that's a major reason where it can save you um, by having your assets in a trust. But as you've mentioned, the setup cost is um, not cheap and it does cost, it's a bit of uh, complexity to uh, manage each year. So you're right that you need a decent sized portfolio and it needs to be thrown off a fair amount of um, income for the tax strategy to be effective. Okay, I hope I explained that well enough. So what the Labor Party is proposing for the tax, tax, or the sorry, the trust tax reform, it's a tongue twister, they're saying that they don't want you to be able to distribute to beneficiaries at potentially a uh, 0% tax rate if you're distributing to um, your wife who's just had kids, who's not working. Um, they don't want to, they, w- they do not want you to be able to do that and they want to tax a flat or all distributions from trust at a flat rate of 30%, which I don't think is really fair, but they're trying to close this, I guess, loophole, um, you could call it, but they're trying, there's all sneaky ways you can, you, once you, if your assets are in the trust, there's a whole other raft of things that you can do in there, but I won't get into that. I'll just cover the main ones. Um, but yeah, they're trying to cap the income from the trust or the distributions from the trust to be a minimum of 30%. So you won't be able to use it as effectively as you're currently being able to use it. And they're saying it's going to save the taxpayers $17 billion, yada, yada, yada. Now, the reason I do not think it will get through and why I'm not that worried about it is the simple reason that the vast majority of the rich and powerful hold their assets in a trust and all the big political players up the top, never change laws that would make them or their lobbyists poorer. That's just not how it works. We all know those in power want to keep the power and they, they're they not going to change uh, the lobbyists and the big politicians who are probably holding their assets in a trust to begin with. They're not going to change laws to um, disadvantage themselves. Whilst it's never a good idea to base your investing strategy around tax laws, so it could always happen. I mean, look, I actually think the um, 
franking credit refund is which is another um, law that's potentially going to be changed, which you mentioned. I actually think that's got a really good chance of going through, which is really, really unfortunate for us who want to retire early because that was a big part of my strategy. But it just goes to show that you shouldn't be relying on tax laws um, and you predominantly want to invest in great companies first and foremost. That should be your number one goal is identifying really, really good companies, uh, good indexes, good, you know, uh, ways to invest first and foremost don't rely on uh, laws that can so easily change depending on the government so tax efficiencies while they're great and everything they're less important than um, focusing on great companies to invest in so i just want to say that so i think i don't think that the trust tax reform will go through it may go through that would suck if it did go through because we're losing the franking credit refunds as well. Makes it really hard. Not really hard, but it just is another blow to the fire community. It is what it is, but um, I hope it doesn't go through. I don't think that the trust will go through, but I have a feeling that the franking credit refunds will go through, but that's a story for another day. Um, having said that, wrapping all that up in um, this last conclusion bit here, I've come to realize during my five to six years on the path to fire how powerful simplicity is. Creating and running a trust creates a complexity. We've already done it. We, we invested the money and we've, I know how to run a trust now. So it's not like I'm going to sell off my assets and you know transfer them to my own name. I've already done the hard work to put it in the bloody thing. So I at least want to get to a point where I hopefully can reap the rewards, which I believe we can once the portfolio starts throwing off a decent amount of income. But you are right. I'm copping it on the chin in these early years. It's costing me more. It's you know not saving me any money at the moment. But my thinking is that uh, once, you know, a few more years down the track, maybe four or five years down the track, it's going to save me money and it will save me money for the rest of my life. But it's still a complexity. So it's still, it doesn't come for free at that point. I've still got to, um, you know, lodge tax returns for the trust. And, you know, there's just a little bit of extra paperwork that's always required when you invest through a trust. So can it save you money at the end of the day? Yes, it can. Is it necessary to reach financial independence so you can retire early? Absolutely not. So take that of what you will, and it's a decision that you need to make yourself. I personally, if I could go back in time and start again, I probably wouldn't go through the hassle of setting up a trust. I've already been through the hassle of setting up a trust, so I'm going to stick with it. But it is really an unnecessary complexity. And depending on the size of your portfolio in the end, and depending on a whole raft of factors, you know, relatives, who you can actually distribute to, it might not actually save you that much money. So I probably wouldn't worry about it for 99% of people if I am being honest. Hope that answers your question. And we will move on to question number two from Seamus. Seamus writes in, Hi, Aussie Firebug. Love your work and the podcast. Like many of us, you started in property because of the high amount of leverage you can use. As your goals change due to changes in lending and increased share market knowledge, you have mentioned divestment of your investment properties. Question one, what is your strategy for the divestment and what do you have as key considerations for this? And question two, if you had a primary primary place of residency, 
and one property paid off and another two in a duplex well underway, seven years to go, would you simply stick with property as many of the entry costs have already been incurred? Thanks, Seamus. Hi, Seamus. Thanks for writing in. Uh, It is true, 100%, that I started with Australia's favorite asset class, the good old never fails, always goes up bricks and mortar. As Property 101, everyone has a story about property investing in their family, themselves. You cannot go you cannot go 10 seconds into an investing conversation without someone giving you the hot tip of the next suburb that's undervalued or something like that. Um, so yes, I did. I was a property investor. I, I still am a property investor. I've still got two. Um, to answer your question, your, your first one, the, what's my strategy of uh, selling the properties and what are my key considerations? So in a weird way, I'm almost glad that I hit my uh, lending wall so early in my journey. Uh, back in 2015, I did that. I went to get my fourth loan and the banks come back and said, Ba-bom, you have hit your lending, your max lending criteria and we will not give you any more money, which was a, probably a blessing in disguise now that I think about it because I may have never found an alternative path to financial freedom and I ultimately might not have discovered the share market if I had got that fourth loan and just continued with my property journey. So I'm almost thankful that the banks come back and uh, didn't give me that fourth loan. So uh, and then, you know, everything that's going on now and, you know, who knows where I would have been. Who knows? That's crystal ball gazing sort of stuff. Anyway, back on to your question. So the biggest consideration that we have at the moment with the two other properties that need to be, not need to be sold, but we're looking to sell them, is we don't want to sell low or in a bad market. And right now is a terrible time to sell. And the reason is because no one can get loans. The banks have gone so crazy in the opposite direction. You went back four years ago, they were literally hurling money at you. And now, with APRA and all the regulation changes and the Royal Banking Commission, they don't want to give loans to anybody. I was speaking to a guy at work the other day who has a really secure job. Um, he gets paid like heaps more than I do. His wife works. And they the amount of hoops that the banks made them jump through to get this loan was just insane. Look, I don't know their whole financial picture, so I, it might be, you know, they might be um, have some debts or whatever, but just seemed crazy. I'm like, you literally wind the clock back a few years ago, and like you could have just, you could have just rolled in off the street and had the loan that afternoon. And now they're just, it's so rigorous, and they're they're really locking down on the loans. Which ultimately, the point I'm trying to get at is, it's a it's a really bad time to sell because a lot of people can't get those loans to buy your house that you're selling. So one of the major considerations that we have when we're trying to um, offload those is just to wait until it's a better time to sell, really. So we might be waiting years, who knows, a decade maybe until the banks loosen their lending again. Um, But the two properties that we've got at the moment have really good cash flow and there's absolutely no reason to rush but we will eventually offload them um, yeah, when the, when the lending criteria and the, or the lending conditions loosen up a little bit. Um, the one, the, our two left are in Queensland, and to be honest, it, it hasn't like gone down in value as much as the Melbourne and Sydney market seems to be crashing now. 
Well, not crashing. Uh, well, it depends what your definition of a crash is, but it's definitely dropped. It's definitely cooled off. There's no doubt about that. But the Queensland market hasn't, it's sort of just, it's sort of stayed the same for the last couple of years. So I'm just chilling out. We're just chilling out in our high cash flow to properties and dumping a whole bunch of money in the stock market. And when the time's right, we will sell. Just waiting for the time to be a bit more right. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll just wait that out and see what happens, um, see what's around the corner. And to your second question um, about would you simply stick with properties as many as many of the entry costs have already been incurred? So the answer to that is no, I would not. So property can be a really good wealth builder, but its cash flow sucks. It's a terrible, terrible, it has terrible cash flow compared to other assets like shares, which I think is um, the best cash flow out of the lot. So it depends what you want and where you are in your journey. We're sort of towards the middle and like coming towards the end um, in the next couple of years. So I'm I'm not waiting. I don't want to buy a property, wait five to 10 years to get that growth. I'm done with the sweat equity and going through all that business. I did it. It was, you know, fun when I did it, but I was it was at the start of my journey. So yes, it worked out for, for us. The properties did um, go up in value, but uh, now that we're yeah, in the middle towards the end, I don't really want to go through that again. And as I said, the it's all about, we're all about generating that passive income at the moment and shares are far superior to property in my humble opinion for generating passive income. So we're moving towards a more share-based portfolio and back to your original question, we will sell off the properties when the time's right to put that money into a higher cash flow investment like our ETFs and listed investment companies. And that's what we're doing. And when we get to a certain point, we will be, we've replaced our um, income through not all of our income, but we'll have our um, expenses covered by our passive investments. And that will be a fun, fun day and um, we'll declare financial independence then. When that will be, I'm not sure, but hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I hope that answered your question and we will move on to the last question for today, which comes from Emma. Emma writes in, hello, Aussie Firebug. So Vanguard has a new ETF that has caught my eye. The VESG. Apparently, it's ethically focused and doesn't invest in stuff like weapons, tobacco, and fossil fuel. I've had concerns from time to time about investing in products that I would otherwise avoid buying as a consumer, but I had to put that one on the shelf and went down a VTS VEU route anyway. Do ethics play into your investing investment strategies? If yes, how so? What do you think of VESG as a core holdings? Happy Monday. Thanks kindly, Emma. Happy Monday. This is Firebug Fridays, Emma. No, I'm just kidding. You must have uh, sent your email Monday. Anyway, to answer your question, Emma, well, thank you for your question, first of all. Um, the ethically focused investments, they're a relatively new product, and I've always thought of them as paying a premium to invest in something that aligns with your values. But do you know what? I did a bit of research after your fantastic question, and they're actually picking up steam, and more and more younger investors are prioritizing companies that are not a, not related to things you mentioned like fossil fuels, gambling, 
um, tobacco, animal testing on cosmetics and stuff like that. And I've got a really cool graphic on the post about the rise of ethical investing in Australia. So it was around back in 2007, which is, you know, relatively recent, but back then it was, um, it was really, really small. And you just got to see this graphic. It's come, it comes from the, um, Responsible Investment Association Australasia. But the growth in the last two, three, four years is just off the charts. We're talking double, dig- double digit percentage wise growths. And, um, it's really, really like, it's good. It's a good thing. And I, it's sort of similar to free range eggs, right? So like consumers at supermarkets have proven with their wallets and their cash that they are willing to pay more for products based on ethics. And something that we do as well, we buy free range eggs, even though it costs a little bit more and, um, you know, we're pretty frugal otherwise, but we're willing to, to make that, um, little extra, extra purchase to save the chickens, hopefully, or have them live a better life. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, and I have a feeling, well, look, this is obviously not financial advice, but this is just my thoughts and opinions on it. I think that millennials in, in general and younger generations are more linked and in tune to, um, ethically investing and and making choices with their wallet based on ethics a lot more than perhaps the baby boomer generation and and older generations and stuff like that. So I, if anything, I really, if I was to guess, if I was to punt on this, um, I would say that this ethical investing ETFs are probably going to rise in the future, but please don't take that. You know, this is based on nothing here, just a hunch from myself. But, um, but having said that as well, Ethical investing is not something that is at the forefront of my mind when I buy assets. And, you know, doing the research for this post, uh, for this um, answer, you've made me think about it, Emma, to be honest. Think about it a little bit more consciously because you're right. Why shouldn't I be aligning my values with what I invest in? Do I really want to be, you know, buying free range eggs, but then investing in a company that runs um, you know, egg farm, uh, chicken farms and stuff that's not free range. Like that's sort of contradicting, um, itself, isn't it? So, hmm, let me, let me sleep on that one and let me have a good think about that. Um, I actually was quite impressed though with the, uh, the data that I found and how it's growing and everything like that. And also the product that you mentioned, VESG, which is a Vanguard, um, product. For a core holding, it's actually not too bad. Like when you mentioned it, when the question come in, I thought, ah, oh, you know, this ethically investing product, it's it's going to be this really high high management fee. It's sort of going to be like a hipster ETF or something like that, some sort of, you know, um, vegan uh, activated almond latte or some, some ridiculous um, ETF like that. It's going to be really expensive. But in saying that, I did look at the holdings and, you know, it's got over 1,500 holdings from all over the world. It's a bit heavy in the United States at 61%, but it's a lot more diversified um, than a lot of other ETFs and it has an acceptable management fee. We're talking 18 basis points. So, you know, kudos Vanguard, not bad, not bad at all. Would I I use it as a core holdings personally? Um, No, I wouldn't, but it ain't, it's not it's not really, um, you know, it's not too bad if I'm being completely honest. Um, will I look at ethical investing in the future? Maybe I'll sleep on it. Let me think about it a bit more. But 
you know, I'm liking what I'm seeing. I'm really um, liking that there's products out there with a, you know, a pretty good uh, or acceptable management fee of 18 basis points. And what they're investing in is is pretty legit. Like I had a look at the companies and um, a lot of tech, a lot of, you know, really, really good um, income producing um, companies. So, you know, that's, uh, I've, I've, I've definitely seen a lot more, um, you know, not diversified portfolios and ETFs. Um, that that's one of the better ones I've seen. So, yeah, it looks looks good to me. Um, management fees acceptable, eighteen basis points. So, you know, if that aligns with your your values and your ethics, then I think that's a it's just a good product for an alternative to be out there. So, well done, Vanguard, and um, yeah, thanks Emma for your question. You definitely led me down a um a Google rabbit hole, and um, I was pleasantly surprised from for what I found. So hope that answers your question. And we have reached the end of the Friday today. So I will let you guys go. Enjoy your weekend. Hope it's nice uh, weather, nice and sunny for you. And I'll see you guys next week. Cheers.